Okay, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. While we are continuing through our, our teaching through Passion Week, it will not be a verse by verse so much this week. I'll be looking just at a few verses that occurred and were spoken as our Lord and his disciples went from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Olive Grove. Just a few verses that occurred there. So we'll be looking at the first few verses of John chapter 15. Before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now you might open it to us. Touch our hearts and our eyes and our ears that we might see and understand the things in your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. They're, they're leaving. Hang on, I'm just going to move that back a little bit. That's better. The disciples and our Lord are moving down from the upper room. They're heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane. It's night. You ever wondered how they found, found what they were doing? Found where they were going? Now, they knew the way fairly well because it was said that they often went there. But it's dark. There's no streetlights. How did they get there? You, no one ever wondered this? All right. Now, we, we, we find later on that, the, uh, that those who came to arrest him came in a group bearing torches. That's, you know, torches like you know, in the, the monster movie. It's not torches like you turn on torches. It's torches that you hold. So they had that. But how did these people find their way? Well, one of the really interesting things about Passover is it's always a full moon. Because that's how they work it. Passover is 13 full moons from the last one. That's why it moves all right, across several months. Um, so it was a full moon. That's how they found their way. And they're walking along. And Jesus says to them, verse 1 of chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. I'm just wondering, did they actually pass by a vine? So many of the, the parables and the illustrations and the explanations that Jesus uses were so real and so vivid that I, do, I, I don't know if I completely agree, but I have had one man say that every illustration he used, in fact, was in front of him. So when that passage, for instance, that we read today... And he said, a sower went forth to sow, that in fact, down in from where he was saying it, there was a guy sowing seed. That every time he said these illustrations, that they were there in front of people. I don't know if it's true, but it's an interesting thought. How, how better and how vivid could they be to the people if they were actually happening in front of him? But he says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. 
Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, I have in fact taught pruning from this passage. A few years ago, it was a year ago, at, at uh, Joshua's birthday party, we're out at David's place, and he was saying to me, these roses, you know, they're not growing right. I said, because they're not pruned properly. And he said to me, well, and I said, don't worry, just get me a pair of clippers, and I'll show you how it's done. And he goes, okay, so we got the clippers, and I said, and our lesson today comes from John chapter 15, because this is not just theologically true, it is practically true. This is how you prune, how you prune a vine, how you prune a fruit tree, how you prune roses. If something isn't bearing fruit, no flowers, no fruit, nothing, you cut it right out. And I showed him, you take these ones out. Then I, and the ones that are bearing flowers or fruit or whatever, you trim them back and shape them. Why? So that they'll bear more fruit. So it's, it's not just that this is good theology. It's good gardening. Um, so we could, look, we could go on on that one. We could, we could have a whole sermon on that particular topic. Uh, but we won't. There's something else that I, would be, I want to be coming to. And it goes further down. We'll keep reading. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Look, there's another sermon in that one, in that verse there. Remember the washing of the feet in the upper room? There's, there's, there's a whole sermon in that, especially when it applies to the purging and the trimming and the, the work done on the, the vine by the husbandman. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And that's where I want to stop. And specifically, it's verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to prove that verse wrong. Specifically, the last few words. For without me, ye can do nothing. The history of Christendom is full of people who are trying to prove that particular phrase wrong. They are trying to do it without him. What are they trying to have? They are trying to have a Christless Christianity. That's really what they're after. They're after a Christless Christianity. 
and they attempt to replace Christ with someone else. They attempt to replace him with Joseph Smith, Ellen G. White, Mary, the Saints, Mary Baker, Patterson Morse, Glover Eddy. That's the founder of Christian science, if you've ever wondered. Neither scientific nor Christian. They they try to replace him with the Saints. They, They try to replace him with the Pope. Incidentally, you know the term the Vicar of Christ? You know what Vicar means? Replacement. Replacement comes from the, the, the word, same root word where we get vicarious. The vicar of Christ is the replacement for Christ. Even his title tries to say, they try to replace Christ with someone else, somebody else, in order to produce a Christless Christianity. The reason why it doesn't work Well, look over in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Heir of all things. Inheritor of everything. Joseph Smith is not heir of all things. Ernest Rutherford, whatever his name, Charles T. Russell, they are not heir of all things. The Pope is not heir of all things. No man is heir of all things. By whom also he made the worlds. No preacher ever made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory. I don't care how good someone is. They are not the brightness of God's glory. And the expressed image of his person. No person can be the expressed image of God. Because that's that's not the... When that says the expressed image of his person. It's not talking like a mirror. Not like a reflection. The expressed image of his person is the image that you get from stamping metal into a die. The express image. It fits exactly. No person can be the express image of the person of God. Upholding all things by the word of his power. No person upholds all things by the word of his power. They might think they do, but they do not. When he had by himself purged our sins, nobody can purge our sins except Jesus Christ. And then is sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And let's not even get started on being made so much better than the angels. No person has been made so much better than the angels. For we're told that we're made a little lower than the angels for a time. So, what? What is it that people want to do without Jesus? They want to produce a Christless Christianity. They want to take him out of the way, take him out of the service, take him out of the religion. Why? Because it's not convenient. It's not what they want. They do not want to have to accept that he is the one and the only. They want a Christless Christianity. For 2,000 years, 
They have been trying to substitute anyone else for Christ in their Christianity. The second thing they want is they want a Bibleless theology. A Bibleless theology. Now, there are two types of people when they approach the scriptures who, who, who want this sort of thing, this Bibleless theology. They are the Yasanders and the Yasbudders. Because they'll all say, yes, we believe the Bible. Then they'll say, yes, and we believe. The tradition held, handed down from the saints. Yes, and we believe doctrine and covenants. Yes, and we believe pearl of great price. Yes, and we believe the Book of Mormon. Yes, and we believe modern psychology. It's always the Bible and. Or they go the other way. And these are the yes butters. The yes butters say, yes, we believe the Bible. But not those first eight chapters of Genesis. Oh, come now, come on, really? You can't expect us to believe that as well. That, yeah. Yes, we believe the Bible, but not that bit about the miracles. You know, I mean, those things just don't happen. Well, if they happened all the time, they wouldn't be called miracles. They'd be called ordinaries. <laughs> They're called miracles precisely because they don't happen all the time. But, oh, I couldn't believe that. No, I couldn't believe that. Oh, and I, yes, I believe the Bible, but not that bit about the resurrection. No, no, you, you, can't, you, you can't expect me to believe that. What is the result of a Bibleless theology? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll see the, the result of a Bibleless theology. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 12. Now if, Christ, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ is, be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also is vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if it be that the dead be not raised. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins, then they which are, all, are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. That is the result of a Bibleless theology. You end up with an unresurrected Christ and of all men most miserable. There is nothing to recommend. A Christless Christianity and a Bibleless theology. Now, during the Reformation, they had three mottos. And they had them in Latin, because that was the way they did things then. They said, sola fide, only by faith. Sola grate, only through grace. And sola scriptura, only the Bible. And that is the essence of it. 
Because when you think about it, how did you find out about faith and grace if it wasn't through the Scriptures? You see, of those three, the most essential is really sola scriptura. Only through the Bible. Because that is where the other truth flows from. The truth about faith in Christ and the grace of God only comes from a knowledge, from a, the preaching of the gospel out of the scriptures. If there's no Bible, there's no hope. There's no point. And it's interesting, you know, you, if I meet a, another Christian, if they believe in those three things, the teaching of the Bible, salvation by grace through faith, I can have some sort of fellowship with them because we're on the same level straight away. I, I remember being over in Africa and, and going to a church there. I couldn't understand a word they were saying most of the time because most of them spoke tribal languages and, and those who were educated spoke French and I do neither. But there was a fellowship that we shared as soon as we got into the scriptures. Why? Because we, we all believed the same thing about the Bible. That it was the truth, it was the word of God and so immediately there's a connection. Anybody who believes in those three things Salvation by grace through faith and in the, the, the primacy, the importance, the, the absolute necessity of belief in the word of God, you can have some sort of fellowship with. Whatever else is frayed around the edges, on those things you can agree and there is a unity. They want a Christless Christianity. They want a Bibleless theology. And they want a bloodless redemption. That's the third thing they want. They want a bloodless redemption. They want to be saved. Oh yeah, people want to be saved. Don't, never, never doubt that. People want to go to heaven. They do. They really do. But they want to get there some other way. They do not want... A blood redemption. But we're told in Titus chapter 3 verse 5. That it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. You know the, the, the expression by his blood. By his blood. It occurs about 20 odd times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20 verse 28 we're told. We're purchased by his blood. In Romans 5, 9, we're told we're justified by his blood. In Ephesians 1, 7 and about four other places, we're told we're just, we're redeemed by his blood. In Colossians 1, 17, we're told we're given peace by his blood. In 1 John 1, 7, we're told we're cleansed by his blood. And yet these people want a bloodless redemption you know and one of the ways they'll say this and you see it occasionally you see it more often than you think they'll say of themselves or someone else 
Oh, I'm a spiritual person. You ever heard that? Yeah. I'm not a Christian, but I'm a spiritual person. You know what they're saying? I want a bloodless redemption. I want one that doesn't involve the sacrifice of Christ. I want a, a, well, you know what it is? It's what the Bible says is a form of godliness. Yeah, it's a form of godliness. It's, I want to have all this bit of what Christianity offers, but no, I, I don't want to have to accept that Christ died for my sins. No, I don't want that. I want all the other stuff. I want a form of godliness, but I want to deny the power that generates it, which is the power of the blood of Christ. And the scripture says, from these, turn away. If you are a young Christian, if you're a young, in terms of spirituality or terms of, of um, uh, knowledge, or a young in years person, and you see these people who are saying they are spiritual, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power that generates it through the blood of Christ, from such turn away. Detour, another direction, not that way, not towards them, because they will end, they will finish you up that you will have a Christless Christianity, a Bibleless theology. Why? Because they've denied the power that makes the whole thing run. Without the blood of Christ, there is no redemption, and they yet want to have this form of godliness. Why is it that they want these things? Well, the reason why they want to have these things is because they desperately want to avoid their fate. If we go back to John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now when I went when I was pruning the roses down at David's place and I said to him you've got to collect up all these offcuts and he said oh good I'll put them in the in the green waste bin where they'll get mulched up and, and I said no put them in the rubbish bin and he said but why? I said no good husbandman leaves the prunings ever anywhere near the plant because they simply spread disease. And what they do, you, in fact, you, you look at it in all those places. 
even now, the prunings are cut, they're collected, and they're burnt to protect the plant. It's good theology, it's good gardening. But why then do people want a Christless Christianity and a Bibleless theology? Why do they want a bloodless redemption? Because it says they are gathered and cast into the fire and they are burned. When you look over in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face heaven and earth fled from whose faith earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for him. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And these people will say, oh, it's an allegory. It's an illustration. It's a picture. I wish it was. I really do. I really wish that was true. But it's not. I would love it if that was just an allegory. I would be delighted. I'd be so happy if that was just a picture. If that was just an illustration. But it's not. It's real. You know, I remember one theologian saying, I love to wear a rainbow every day and tell the world that everything's okay. He'd love to, but he can't. Why? Because it's not true. Do you have any respect for people who tell you things that aren't true? Now, a few of us here have, have, have been, you know, uh, uh, have had issues with health. It's pretty serious. I remember I, I, I went in and I had a, a mark that was worrying me on my hand. And I went into the doctor and I said, Doc, you know, I'm a bit concerned about this. And he looked at it and he said, I'm 90% sure it's just a sunspot. But hey, we'll, we'll take it out. So he took it out and I came back a week later. He said, you know, it wasn't a sunspot. It was, it was a cancer. He said, but I'm 90% sure I've got it all. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I know what you're saying. We're going to make an appointment. We're going to make sure, make 100% sure, aren't we? He said, you're damn straight we are because I'm not going to risk myself on 90%. Not a second time. You wouldn't risk your, your health with the 90%, would you? You'd say, no, I want to go for the 100%. I was going to say, you know, you wouldn't... Uh, you wouldn't uh, fly with an aeroplane that, that, or an airline that's 
want so, hope so, wish so. But actually, I, I, I have flown on some of those and it's, and it's fairly scary. You don't do it if there's any choice, do you? Would you, you, know, you put your car in to get the brakes fixed and you say to the mechanic, you fixed the brakes? And he said, oh, I think so. Oh, I wish so. I hope so. Are you going to drive that? If you're not going to risk your body on things like that, why on earth would you risk your soul? Why would you put your soul, your eternal, immortal soul, You've only got one. Why would you risk it on hope so, wish so, think so? When the scripture says, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. When Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden. I don't want wish so, hope so theology. I want chosen from before the foundation of the world. I want redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I want a guarantee on my soul. I'm not going to risk it on hope so, want so, wish so, think so, maybe so. What sort of theology is that? A bloodless redemption taught from a Bibleless theology giving you a Christless Christianity is no way to keep your soul safe. Your soul is precious. You've only got one. One. There's no spare. How precious? It was precious enough for Jesus to die for. That's how precious it is. So doesn't it make sense to trust it to the one who's already shown how much they care for it? People who will risk their their souls on a bloodless redemption from a Bibleless theology. Where, where do they think that's going to end? You know, you, you see things happening... And, and especially, it, it, you know, I see things happening in, in my job and, and I go to usually my partner, you know, this isn't going to end well. You know it's not going to end well. You see people doing things, you see people behaving in a certain way and you go, this is not going to end well. And sooner or later, yeah, you hear it coming, oh yes, the fight started, the drunk started, the car crashes occurred, it didn't end well. Why would you risk your soul on something that you can look at and say, this is not going to end well? The Bible teaches us very clearly, as we go back again to that message from John, in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. The husbandman looks after the vine. Every branch that is in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. He trims it. He just 
a little nip here and there, a little clip, move the leaves, just trim it so it bears more fruit. Now you're clean through the word, through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Well, that's pretty obvious. A branch not connected to the vine bears nothing. No more can ye accept that ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing important. Nothing lasting. Nothing of eternal consequence. Oh, you can build a big church. You can get lots of people in. You can be, you can get on TV, you know, on the half past two in the morning, the people there on TV preaching away. You can do that. You can be popular. You can have the world say how wonderful you are. But you can do nothing that is of any value to the husbandman, to God who tends the vine and prunes the branches. Because what's he interested in? He's interested in fruit. And this is a little aside, especially for pruning. You know what bad pruning does? You'll end up with a vine that's full of leaves and no grapes. Yeah. You'll end up with a plant that's, that's big and showy and looks really great until you come to try and find the flowers or the fruit and there's nothing there. Because it hasn't been looked after properly. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any importance. Nothing that lasts. Nothing that will register in heaven. You can do lots for the world. And lots in the world. But the world is as far as it will go. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned it'll all burn up one day we're told that all our works all the things that we want will be tried with fire and only that which is precious only that which is important only that which was done for God will last we're all busy today all, we're all busy, aren't we? I don't think anybody here says, oh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not busy. I don't have any important things to do. We've all got important things to do. But are we busy doing the right things? Are we busy doing things which will last? Or are we busy simply generating this... Christless Christianity. Today you will leave here with your one soul. Your only soul. 
Who are you going to trust it to? Are you going to trust it to a Christless Christianity, a Bibleless theology, and a bloodless redemption on a wish so, hope so, think so, maybe so salvation? Or are you going to trust it to the one who died for that soul, who loved that soul so much that he gave everything he had for it? Where are you going to put your soul for safekeeping? You can put your money in a safe. You can put your, 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 your jewels in a, in a strong box. You can keep your securities and your titles in the bank. Where are you going to keep your soul? Where are you going to put it for safekeeping? The only safe, sensible thing to do is to entrust it to the care of the one who loved it so much that he died for it. Your soul is precious. It's precious to you and it's precious to Jesus. Don't waste it. Don't throw it away. Look after it. Care for it. Tend it. And trust it to the one who loves it and you more than you can possibly know. Thank you.